0: Hey, what's up and welcome. You're listening to Sneak Up on the Pedestrian Podcast Network. Proudly brought to you by Platypus Shoes. Sneak Up will keep you in the know across things like music, art, dance, and all around culture. Those little thoughts that sneak up in your brain, we're going to chat about them. My name is Jack, your host and avatar for all these epic conversations we're set to have together. On today's episode, we're going to be doing things a little bit differently. Given the world of art and culture is always changing, Every once in a while, we'll be delivering some important news and opinions on just that. Changes. Today's focus will be the result of the New South Wales election. A big talking point among many people in the lead-up to the election was how your vote may be impacting the future of live music in New South Wales. With a Liberal Party victory, that future seems pretty uncertain. We're going to be chatting through the history of music legislation in recent years and ultimately give some predictions on where the next few years might take us. To help me along with that conversation, and to share his no doubt bottomless supply of such information, we have Pedestrian TV's Deputy Editor and Music Lover, James Hennessy. James, thanks so much for coming on.
1: Hello. Thank <laughs> Hello. you for that incredible intro.
0: <laughs> so, a big part of the discussion around the election, at least among people with like a very keen interest in it, was how different parties were going to be impacting legislations that greatly impact how live music is enjoyed within the state of New South Wales. Yeah been a big issue for a very long time. And while it is a big issue, I would like to begin this particular episode by acknowledging that for many, there are issues which are far more crucial and important than music. We know that. It's very fair. However, given that this podcast is dedicated to culture, today's discussion of the election is going to be skewed in that direction. Totally. But I guess probably the easiest way for us to start this would be to sort of get an idea of where we stand and get a bit of history on the sort of different pieces of legislation that have affected us in this way.
1: Yep, totally. Um, So there's obviously a a lot of things that have sort of gotten us to this point um, in the sort of New South Wales and Sydney regime around regulating music, regulating culture, regulating nightlife. Uh, The the big one that everyone talks about a lot is obviously the lockout laws. Uh, And the lockout laws come up most of all uh, because they have sort of the most visceral impact on how people sort of enjoy themselves and engage with culture in the state um, in new south wales um but obviously there's a lot of other things going on uh which have uh, affected to uh, how we've gotten basically to this point uh li- such as basically really punitive sort of uh licensing regimes around venues generally mm. um obviously the story that came up uh, last week Uh, that got a lot of attention was the thing about Goros and Surrey Hills Mm. um, basically saying that they would be moved into a different sort of licensing regime if they put a mirror ball up. (laughs) Um, The thinking obviously being that uh, if you put a mirror ball up, that's a dance floor. You're no longer a bar, you're a nightclub and Mm. therefore you're subject to a a whole bunch of other regulations that you weren't before um, which obviously automatically doesn't make a lot of sense to the average person,
0: right? I mean, I get it. These yeah. not want to make me dance, but...
1: I mean, it's very hard to dispute that. It's very hard to dispute that. That's what the police say, you know. Um, and obviously, the other big uh, legislative change, which is not so much a, a, a change in the uh, explicit sense, but more of a tightening of existing uh, regulations is around festivals, of mm. course. And that's, that's dominating the conversation right now. Um, because... Uh, And and the industry is saying at the moment that they're quote, infinitely worse than the lockouts. Basically what they're proposing and what is being implemented is that uh, the Liquor and Gaming um, Board will now control basically everything to do with uh, a festival, whereas before they were only dealing with the the liquor licensing. Um, So basically festivals need to provide extensive detail and all their operational components, everything from security to harm minimization to basically everything in that kind of space. Mm. Um, And they'll be rated on a risk matrix from low to high risk, obviously with festivals that have been deemed high risk, uh, requiring far more uh, obligations to to meet their licensing requirements.
0: And there was another thing as well that I was reading about was that once the... um once the high risk matrix came out that people have been comparing themselves to a number of events were classified as high risk. There was, um, a lot of Hillsong events were going to be high risk. Blues Fest was going to be high risk as yeah. well until I saw that the the director of Blues Fest like, sent out an open letter to the government saying that they would move, to which Gladys Berejiklian replied, oh, no, you don't have to worry about it.
1: Yeah, completely just, like, just a lack of clarity. And they have like an official document which is, provides sort of a points-based system for how something goes low to high risk. But it's so subjective and there's so much flexibility in these categorizations. And at the end of the day, exactly what you said, if there's going to be a significant financial impact on the state, the Premier can just say, actually, you know what, I'm going to use my discretion and and sort of wipe the slate clean. Part of that is uh, user-paid police services, um, which have always been a part, have been a part since 2004, I should say. Um, And just to clarify what they are, because a lot of people don't necessarily understand Mm. user-paid policing, is that if the police are overseeing security um, or any kind of enforcement on the grounds of a festival, um, obviously supplementing the security that the festival is paying for, then those the venues pay a fee, which at the moment basically adds up to about $127 per hour per police officer, um, plus other charges for different equipment and support staff and things like that. Um, and that's that's been the case since 2004. Hmm. And the thinking is obviously that um, uh, the taxpayer doesn't want to get slugged for basically policing private events, um, but the sort of the flip side of that coin is that the people that go to music festivals are also taxpayers, and, and they're getting slugged. And they're getting slugged in the yeah. ticket price and also at the tax bowser. So like, yeah. So there's there's arguments for and against, obviously. Um, but what changes with the new licensing regime is that uh, the user pays police, which was previously it can be set as a requirement, basically. So um the The board, the base, liquor and gaming can be like, you need X amount of police, you need X amount of police facilities, otherwise you don't get a license. And especially for festivals in the kind of the small to medium space, um, those costs can add up to be quite astronomical. Mm. Um, Obviously, some of the bigger festivals like, you know, Splendour can swallow these costs Mm. and they can play around with ticket pricing and they have such huge attendance that they can kind of work around it, as annoying as it is. Um, It's these small to medium kind of like boutique festivals that are really going to feel... Uh, feel the hurt on that sort of stuff. Um, So basically, that was kind of a lengthy sort of introduction to some of the big issues Mm -hmm. that are sort of um, causing issues for music and nightlife in New South Wales leading up to this election.
0: So from there, I mean, obviously music for a lot of people that are very musically minded was a big point at the election. Keep Sydney Open made their own political party. A lot of different parties were promising a huge amount of things or not promising anything at all. Can you give us a little bit of a rundown on what was going down pre-election?
1: Yeah, so um, as you said sort of at the beginning of the episode, music isn't going to be the be-all and end-all for probably like a a fairly significant part of the electorate. But that being said, um, every party that wasn't sort of the um, incumbent coalition government were providing relatively comprehensive music and culture-based policies, um, which is fairly unusual. It's not something that dominates the conversation around elections very often, but obviously... These things have sort of come to a boiling point. Um, so, just like a, a really sort of rough summation, the Liberals didn't really promise anything um, because obviously that's not their focus. Um, Labor and the Greens both probably both promised thirty-five million dollar investment in um, music and culture related things around New South Wales, and that's everything from sort of uh, music programs, music precincts, and various sort of ways of subsidizing and encouraging the development of music um, in the state. Uh, of the, the Greens went a little bit further on that front. They were actually calling for the lockout laws to be ended altogether, um, whereas Labor did, did stop just sort of promising that. Um, and the Greens also promised to uh, focus on weaning the country, the state, sorry, weaning the state off uh, the influence of pokers and poke, poker machines and pokies. Um, that's obviously been a bit of an issue for a very long time in terms of music. Um, we can look back a very long time. To seeing poker machines replacing music performance spaces in New South Wales and Sydney venues, and mm. um, that's something that long precedes most of these conversations. Um, and then, of course, yes, keep Sydney open. Who had um, built up quite a, a strong amount of goodwill in this space in campaigning from the perspective of young, of young Sydney siders to uh, open the city back up, obviously. Um, then tried to turn that into something with actual legislative heft by forming their own political party um now obviously we've now looking back on the election on Saturday. um the conversation at the moment is did their party um detract from the votes of uh, other parties that were offering movement in on music and cultural related uh subjects like labor and the greens um again doesn't seem like they really move the needle that much but it's a conversation worth having and looking forward um to the future and for activism in this space, the question is going to inevitably be, did they make the right call in becoming a New South Wales political party Mm. or should they have stated as an external lobby group applying pressure to parties who very, very easily could and in many cases did um, introduce music-centred policies into their platforms? And that's going to be a really, really important question going forward.
0: I guess, um, so from here, like obviously we've got another four years years. until something else happens. Correct. Is there a chance that something can happen in that time or are we just going to have to learn to deal with this situation?
1: I think there's a chance that something can happen because uh, even though um, many would describe some of the actions that the New South Wales government takes as overly punitive um, or reactionary to stuff that's been going on, um, there's definitely a sense that they are feeling that pressure. Um, And at the end of the day, uh, the coalition, for example, does not ultimately want to alienate young voters because these, these are people they're going to want on side for whatever reason later down the track. Um, they can't just be the party of sort of property-owning boomers. It's just, it can't, it's not going to work that way. Um, so they are feeling the pressure. So, and it, as, as we saw a couple of years ago, um, the coalition did accede to a review of the lockout laws. Obviously, the result of that wasn't quite what activists would have wanted. Um, it only amounted to a very, very small loosening of the, of the um, restrictions but um, there is the sense that they are responding to external pressure so it's just a matter of keeping that up you know making sure that that conversation keeps happening and it's very possible that something or some sort of loosening or some sort of investment uh, can happen in the next four years.
0: Stay tuned in a moment James and I'll be giving our predictions for what those next four years might look and feel like but first here's a word from our sponsor. It goes without saying that everyone is always trying so hard to feel fresh, whether that's thinking a new way, doing something differently, or acting like someone they're not. But what if all it took was blazing your own trail? This is Sneak Up, a Platypus Shoes podcast dedicated to all kinds of people thinking like that. I guess from here as well, like, you know, the next four years, if nothing happens, will be an incredibly difficult time for music festivals to operate. Sure. Would you say that it's fair to assume that a lot of festivals will either cease to exist or perhaps move to Queensland or Victoria?
1: See, um, I'm ultimately an optimist on this front. I don't think New South Wales is going to want to lose its position as basically the festival capital mm. of Australia. Obviously, a lot of the most, the biggest, most important festivals do happen here, and I think that the government would be very, very critically aware of that and critically aware that by losing that, they're losing an, an economic boon to the regions of of New South Wales. Obviously, uh, things like Splendour and other festival and Blues Fest and Falls are all massive boons for um, the northern coast of New South Wales, Um And the government's not going to want to lose that. So I'm I'm an optimist that some balance is going to be found. Um, Whether it's quite as good as sort of like music and cultural activists would want uh, is another question entirely.
0: For sure. And I guess now that we are on the other side of it and the party that didn't really seem to promise too much to music is the party that was elected. Yeah. Where do we go from here for people that are really concerned about it? So...
1: Building on what I just said before, first of all, I think it's about activism outside the parliament is really important and putting the pressure on. I think it's a, a big victory that all of the, the parties, uh, for, that basically every alternate party um, from the Liberals were promising some sort of music policy shows that these issues are resonating. Um, the Especially the issue around festivals. The government really clearly felt that. Um, really felt the the stuff around festival regulation because it dominated the conversation for weeks, and it, it's it's even absurd to think that a conversation about festivals would dominate the state political conversation. Um, so that's really important, like keeping the pressure up outside of the parliament. Um, there's also the the issue of thinking about um, what can be done through the mechanism of local government as well. Obviously in Sydney, um, Clover Moore's government uh, is, is very pro the nighttime economy. Um, and that goes beyond music as well. That's all manner of things um, that keep that move Sydney towards being a twenty four hour economy, um, all of which plays in and in intersects with one another. So it's good to think about how can the how can we lobby the local government to take moves on those sort of spaces. Um, and another thing that I would um, think about that's come out quite a quite a bit over the campaign as well, as Keep Sydney Open especially, we're trying to sort of find their place in the campaign, what they were campaigning for, were they single issue or did they believe in other stuff, is our sort of inclusivity of the message. Like, it shouldn't just be about uh, a swathe of the population, a section of the population being able to party or, or go out and see a band. Um, it needs to be a message that's broadened out uh, making sure that everyone is... It should be an inclusive message, which doesn't just mean um, a div- diverse people within the sort of Sydney metropolitan area, but it should also mean um, how can the whole state be part of this conversation? You know, how can we build up um, regional sort of music centres like, you know, places like Newcastle or up on the far north coast or, or, or whatever it may be? Um, how can we get everybody um, talking about it? And, and just uh, keeping the pressure on... On the political parties um, who are trying to secure the progressive vote, um, be it someone like Labor or the Greens or whoever, making sure that they are still they're on message, and this makes part of their co- a cohesive uh, policy platform. That's what I would
0: say. Yeah. <laughs> In so many words. <laughs> if you could give the average person one piece of advice as to how they might be able to do something about this, James, what would it what would it be?
1: Um, I think it's just a matter of, uh, generally speaking, uh, making your voice heard. Uh, Joining political parties, um, really, really pressuring to make sure that that is part of a coherent, cohesive platform for, for New South Wales going forward. Um, that's the only way these sort of things are going to change, um, is if they make sure that uh, they, they don't let up in this space, um, that it's a conversation we keep having. And I'm optimistic that it will. Um, it, it's not something that's going away. Um, people aren't going to give up and sort of allow New South Wales to become, as you describe, a cultural wasteland. Um, and and just remember that uh, the government is always going to be, so, at least to a certain degree, receptive of that because the, the coalition government does not want Israel to become a cultural wasteland. Um, they, want, they may have a different idea of how it can be implemented, but they ultimately have the goal that they want a diverse nighttime economy. They want a diverse cultural economy. Um, so it's just a matter of keeping that pressure up to make sure that they know that policies that they're implementing that aren't uh, conducive to that goal are something that people are going to oppose.
0: And keep going to gigs and hope <laughs> and for the best. Keep going to gigs. That's always important. <laughs> cool. Thanks so much for coming on, James. Really appreciate it. No worries at all. No matter what your political affiliations, if you love music, you'll know that it's in a tricky spot in New South Wales at the moment. While a bunch of that information may have sounded pretty saddening, there's heaps of ways that you can be the change that you want to see. There's also plenty of other movement going on behind the scenes, with groups like Don't Kill Live Music Australia constantly lobbying the government, and a combination of organisers about to enter into a legal battle with the government about their inclusion on that list of high-risk festivals. So, as always, keep it up, stay active, and always stay positive and support your scene. To stay up to date with arts and culture, music and everything good, be sure to subscribe to the Pedestrian Podcast Network to stay in the loop on all things Sneak Up chuck platypus a follow at platypus underscore sneakers and pedestrian tv at pedestrian tv make sure to tune in next fortnight but till then keep it sneaky